0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. Okay, if you have a Bible, would you please take it and open with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. During this Advent season, which marks the four Sundays prior to Christmas, we are looking at Old Testament prophecies. We looked in 1 Corinthians in our series this fall about prophecy in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And so now we're looking at those prophecies in the Old Testament that are foretelling the birth of Christ. And so if you are willing and able... And if you're at home, grab a Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Let's stand together and we'll read Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1, down to verse 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. We have an inconsolable longing An ache. Beneath all the fanfare of our busy lives, beneath all of it is the relentless beat of the longing heart. It's an ache. And you know this ache. You say, there's got to be more than this. This. You might think I'm just describing those who are derelict or those who have tried numerous marriages or those who are destitute and poor, but every one of us in this room knows this ache. You feel it, don't you? We all know that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. Walker Percy once wrote, man has lost something, what he does not know. He knows only that he is sick unto death with the loss of it. There's got to be more than this. A man who is the envy of his friends once told me, I thought establishing my career and becoming successful would be the toughest challenge of my life. So that's where I focused all of my energy. Now I see that was relatively easy compared to making my marriage work and being able to communicate with my kids. At work, I write an email and everything gets done. Yet I drive only 30 minutes to home and all the rules change. Why is it that I can relate easily to my colleagues who aren't that important to me, yet I can't communicate easily to my children? Why are the simplest things the hardest there's got to be more than this too often our very pursuit of happiness becomes our agony doesn't it We chase our tails. In fact, did you know that the king snake, some of you have seen king snakes, they're often in in our area. The king snake, sometimes when there's high humidity and sometimes when the king snake gets very hot, it gets disoriented. And because the king snake eats other snakes, which is why, by the way, you shouldn't kill them, you should leave them because they'll take care of the other snakes. When a king snake gets overly uh, hot, it gets angry, disoriented, and hungry. And when it sees its tail, guess what it does? It eats itself. And there's a word for this symbol, the, the, uh, the collapsing circle. It's called an ouroboros. Did you know that? A king snake that eats itself. There are other species of snakes that do this. They eat themselves. And as they eat themselves, they find themselves getting hungrier and hungrier, like a wolf eating a salt lick with a blade in it. They eat the tail and they get smaller and smaller and smaller. In the ancient Egyptian cult religions, They use the symbol of a snake eating its tail, or a dragon eating its tail, as you may have heard, as a picture of renewal and death and rebirth. And oh, what a fitting picture it is for my heart and for yours. Because those things that I think are nutritious for my soul in a fallen world, I grab and I devour, and I find that the things in which I put my happiness are only devouring myself. There's got to be more than this. In Isaiah chapter 11, the prophet Isaiah had just described God Cutting down Israel like a forest. A once mighty forest. Imagine redwoods and cedars as high as the eye can see with a beautiful canopy giving shade to all of the underbrush. And God, Isaiah, has this image that God gives him of him coming in and just wiping Israel down to stumps. He does that in Isaiah chapter 9. And then in chapter 10, he continues the metaphor to say not only to Israel will I do this, but I will also do this to Sennacherib and his kingdom of Assyria, and I will wipe the Assyrians down. I will make them like a desert of stumps. You ever, ever seen a ranch be burned or ever seen a forest fire? You can look as far as the eye can see and nothing but black, ashen stumps. And this is the image that we find in Isaiah chapter 11. And the ancient people of God to whom Isaiah was writing to in the southern kingdom of Judah, saw how destitute they were, how captive they were to the surrounding nations as they encroached upon their borders. The Assyrians first, which took the northern kingdom, but Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon not far behind, which ultimately will take the southern kingdom into exile. And they cried out, there's got to be more than this. And Isaiah comes in with good news, and he says, hmm, there is. Because out of this ashen heap, out of this ocean or desert of stumps, out of the barren wasteland comes a little green shoot, like the phoenix rising from the ashes. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, it says in verse 1. Do you see that in your Bibles? A nezer, that's the Hebrew word for shoot, a nezer or nazer as sometimes it's pronounced. Children, I want you to remember that word, Nazar. Can you say Nazar, Nazer. Remember that word, hang on to it, and I'll talk about it in just a minute. A green shoot would rise from the ashes of death and of stumps. And what Israel intends to teach ancient Israel in Isaiah chapter 11, this verse you've heard probably many times if you've been to the church, and to teach us today is, number one, that our ache ends when we meet the one who arises from a lowly place. Who arises from a lowly place. In a bleak and barren landscape, God said, I'm going to keep my promise. Listen, this is what I'm going to do. Through the seed of the woman, there is going to be one who comes to crush the head of the serpent. Do you remember he said that back in the garden at the very, very beginning of the Bible? There's going to be one, a seed, who will come to crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent will strike his heel, but he will crush its head. And then Abraham Became the carrier of that seed. Do you remember what happened to Abraham? God promised Abraham, out of your loins, Abraham will come one who will be a blessing to the entire earth. And Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. But it didn't stop with just a promise to Abraham. Abraham bore Isaac, and Isaac bore Jacob. And you remember, Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. And Jacob, Israel, had 12 sons, And these 12 sons became the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the promised seed came through one of Jacob's 12 sons, whose name was Judah. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. And Judah bears a child through his daughter-in-law, Tamar, which is a whole other sermon in itself. Then the line goes through Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute where it makes its way to Boaz who marries a Moabite named Ruth and Ruth bears Obed and Obed bears a son named Jesse and Jesse bears a son named David the great king and so out of this stump of Jesse there is new life As hopeless as it appeared in the 8th century B.C., the promise remains. New life is coming out of Jesse. It is interesting that he says that new life comes out of Jesse. If if Isaiah would have said, if God would have told Isaiah that new life comes out of David, then people would have just assumed when they heard Isaiah say that, well, yeah, we're going to get another king. Just like, just like David was, like Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz, the king that they had at the time, and he was a train wreck. But he doesn't say that. He says, you're going to have one who's going to grow out of Jesse. Why Jesse? What is amazing is that the anointed one is going to come from a lowly place. You notice that it says in verse 1b, in the second part of the Hebrew parallelism, in the next line, it says, a branch will come from his roots. And then again in verse 10, it says, in that day, the root of Jesse. Here is a shoot, a sapling, who comes from the root of Jesse. What does that mean? Isaiah is saying there is somebody who is coming who is more than a king who predates King David, who actually predates King David's father. Isaiah is saying there is coming one who is from of old, from ancient of days. There is coming one who is the Messiah, who had no beginning, who eternally existed. And we know that Jesus is the one that that comes from this shoot. Jesus is the one that comes fully God and fully man. He is the one that comes to us by taking on human nature himself so that he can represent us before the cross, which is why he had to become human. He had to take our place, and because he was God, he could pay the infinite debt that you and I owed in order for God's wrath to be appeased when Jesus died for you and died for me. And this time of year, we sing of the story of Isaiah retelling this promise, what child is this? Why he lies in such mean estate, where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christians fear for sinners here. Our, the silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe the son of Mary. The seed of Adam, the promise to Abraham, the truer King David, the root of Jesse. There is more than this. Interpreters believe that Matthew had this shoot in mind when he wrote that Jesus fulfilled prophecy when he was proclaimed to be a Nazarene. You recognize that word, children? Nazar. Do you know that Jesus' hometown was Nazareth? A name, a place that was named after Isaiah chapter 11. The place of the shoot. And here Jesus comes. And isn't it funny, when John is writing his gospel, he must have just chuckled at the irony as he recounted the story of Philip coming to Nathanael. Philip says to Nathanael, we have found the one who Moses and the law and the prophets like Isaiah talked about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And knowing this longing and this ache himself, seeing the barren landscape of his own heart and life and of his people, Just like Israel, eight centuries earlier, Nathanael sneered and said, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip said, Nathanael, there is more than this. Come and see the one who comes from the place of the shoot. He is the root of Jesse. And not only will he come from a lowly place, but he will be filled with the a threefold fullness of his spirit. Notice what it says next. He will be filled with wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. That means that Jesus is smarter than you. And he can help you figure it out. There's got to be more than this, right? Whew there is. When Jesus was 12 his family had annual traditions much like your family does this time of year probably and one of their annual traditions was that on the first day of Passover they would always go to Jerusalem and so when he was 12 years old they went and They enjoyed themselves and they celebrated the sacrifice and the feast and and they were heading home and they got a day out from leaving Jerusalem when Mary you know kids just kind of traveled with the whole crowd and so it would be easy for a mom not to see a child for a day and Mary begins to look around and say Jesus didn't come for supper. Where is he? And so they look and look and they end up going back to Jerusalem and there in the temple they see Jesus and he is listening to the teachers teach and he is answering their questions and he is saying things and they think, who taught this kid all this stuff? And Mary finds Jesus and says, you made me worry sick! And Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Even his parents didn't understand him. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, the place of the shoot, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and men. How many of you have needed wisdom? And how many of you know that Jesus holds out his hands and says, Would you come to me and ask? And for how many of us is prayer the last resort? Jesus has the spirit of wisdom upon him. Do you ask him for it? Counsel and might. In the poetic parallelism, there's another angle of the same. Not only is he wise, but he's powerful. In John 14, 16, and John 14, 26, Jesus says, I will leave you another counselor. And here, Jesus, the true counselor, who leaves us, the Holy Spirit, to be our counselor. This one, this shoot, who is filled with the spirit of counsel and might, offers to us the same by his very presence. But notice Isaiah goes on. He says, Knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Knowledge and might. You would think that the power that you would perceive Jesus to have would come by being in proximity to the king in those days. We think of power today as political power or economical power, but notice that Jesus says in the Hebrew, what is parallel to might? Notice the spirit of counsel and might, the, knowledge, the spirit of knowledge, that's parallel to counsel. And what is parallel to might? The fear of the Lord is in parallel in Hebrew which is synonymous, what it, mean, what it means to be powerful, to fear God, to recognize that you are under His authority and His rule and His reign, to believe what Scripture says is not weakness. God said it is might, it is strength, because He holds everything together by the power of His word. And we, even as Jesus submitted Himself to His parents, we too should submit ourselves to the truth of God's revealed word. Now, Nathaniel sneered that Jesus was from Nazareth. And John writes that Nathaniel met his match in the very next verse in, in John chapter 1. Jesus, John writes, saw Nathaniel coming toward him. You might remember this story. And what did, what did Jesus say to Nathaniel? Well, he called it by name, and, and Nathaniel says, How do you know me? And Jesus said, There is a true Israelite indeed. Recounting the story of Nathaniel having just said, What good can come from Nazareth? And he goes, Ha, there it is. You're just like the ancient Israelites eight centuries earlier, who didn't believe that something could grow out of the stumps. I tell you the truth, Nathaniel. How do I know you? <laughs> How do I know you? Before Philip ever came to you, under the fig tree where you sat, I saw you. And Nathaniel says, truly, truly, you are the son of God. And Jesus says to him, oh, Nathaniel, you will see even greater things than these. There's got to be more than this. And Jesus says to him, oh, there is. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And Nathaniel beamed with delight as he believed. Friends, there is more than this. And when the ache in your heart is turned to the light, you realize that there is indeed more than this. I listened this week to a podcast about a man named Dwight McCarter. It's a great name, Dwight McCarter. Sounds like a Netflix series. During his 30 years of being a tracker in the great Smoky Mountains, Dwight McCarter has rescued 26 people, most of them children, most of the children boys. The last boy he found, his name was Philip Roman, and Philip, who was 10 years old, had wandered away from his family while they were at Kling, Klingman's Dome. It's the highest point in the Snooky Mountains. And as happens, uh, happens far more frequently and suddenly than you could ever imagine, being a little boy, he just seemed to disappear. And by the time Dwight McCarter got the call, he'd been traveling. And so when he came back to town, it was day three of little Philip Roman being lost. They called Dwight. And they took Dwight out to the point last seen, the PLS, the last point. They knew where he was. And the ranger showed him three sets of tracks. And Dwight said, that's a bear, that's a bear, that's a boy. We're following those. So they followed the boys' tracks. They looked for the white of little broken sticks. Dwight, by the time... He had spent half the day looking for little Philip Roman, knew that he was right-handed because the branches were broken on the right side, and Dwight tracked him to a waterfall where all of a sudden the tracks on the other side of the waterfall stopped, and Dwight said he fell here because the tracks on the other side of the waterfall had a clean track and a track that dragged. And they followed him up the waterfall, so he couldn't have climbed very far. And so they began to the search party began to look around the waterfall. And sure enough, there it is. Dwight McCarter finds little Philip Roman hiding in terror in a rhododendron thicket after four days of being lost. And what's amazing to me about the story of Dwight McCarter, the tracker, is that long before you ever came to this church and long before you ever sat in this room, do you know who is after you? your Savior. He knows. He knows about what burdens your heart right now. He's not surprised by it. He's the tracker. And the Bible says long before you ever knew it, long before you ever thought that you believed in Jesus, he was after you to open your heart to believe. And some of you are here today and you know you're being tracked. Spurgeon said that the Holy Spirit's like the hound of heaven coming after us. There's got to be more than this, you say, as Christmas approaches, and there is. The shoot. He comes for you. And he won't stop until you're found, until you're safe. Just as he knew Nathaniel under the fig tree, he sees you and he knows you. Wisdom, counsel, knowledge, righteousness for you. And your Messiah will track you down. Full of the Spirit. He isn't just one who's full of the Spirit, but it says that he will rule with absolute judgment. Listen, in verse 3, it says, and, he, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Millions of people have been killed in the name of religion or race or sheer despair the Tulsa race massacre George Floyd Michael Brown you name the list Uvalde Colorado Springs Do you know that the day after Colorado Springs there were four injured in a shooting at Oak Cliff in Dallas did you hear about that and the same afternoon very same day there was a shooting in Hennessy Oklahoma but what is there to say of Houston or Costa Mesa, California, or Atlanta, or Chicago, or Atlanta again, or Mobile, or New Orleans, or Tallahassee, or Lake Charles, or San Antonio, or Zion, Illinois, or Macon, Georgia, or the Bronx, or New Orleans again, or Detroit, or Phoenix. People shot or killed in a murderous rampage, and each of those towns suffered horrible tragedies in their own backyard, and that only since Thanksgiving. There's got to be more than this. And scripture says there is one who is going to come and judge. Well, we want justice. We want justice, I do too. But justice can never come without judgment. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus will judge. And the good news of the early church fathers is that when they wrote together and collected what they believed in the Apostles' Creed, they said that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. Why? Because their blood is being spilt. They wanted judgment too. Only judgment doesn't fall in our hands. Though the state has given the power to restrain evil, the anger that you feel towards your relative, the deep sadness and anger that you feel toward the one who has hurt you, just know that judgment, judgment will come. Because you can't have justice without judgment. And notice that he will judge not by what his eyes sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and he will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the irk with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. He's the judge you've always wanted. And he will be the one to bring recompense. So you don't have to. You can rest in his judgment. In judgment, Isaiah says, starts with Israel. Before he talked about Assyria, he cut Israel down. Just like this Christmas, he brings us to an awareness of how shallow so much of our Christmas season is. (laughs) We're so consumed with gifts. We're so consumed with what we're going to get. We pass right by the greatest gift ever given the lord jesus himself and i'm not trying to beat you up i'm just trying to tell you what i'm thinking <laughs> maybe you're thinking it too because i know how easy it is for me to think that i can judge best when jesus was at the feast of booth in john chapter 7 he healed a man on the sabbath and they they began to judge jesus and and jesus says to them in john 7 24 he says Stop judging by what you see. Stop judging by mere appearance and make a right judgment. Jesus will bring justice to us. If it was only because of evil people somewhere out there insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate ourselves from the rest of the world and destroy them, How nice that would be, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who suffered the Russian gulag, once wrote. But the dividing line of good and evil cuts right through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Jesus wants you to know that there is more than this. And there will be more than this. Verses 6 to 10. One day the wolf will not consume the lamb, but will lie down with it. And the leopard will lie down with a young goat. And on and on through verse six, all the way down through verse 10, it's describing opposites in nature that have peace and harmony with themselves. One day, friends, you're gonna be able to rest under his judgment. And you're gonna be able to rest in perfect peace and it's gonna be beautiful. One more story and I'll close. Do you know that in 1915, um, The Christmas before 1915, that would be Christmas of 1914 in World War I, the English and the Germans were finding themselves at the front line in a field riddled with barbed wire, and they had dug trenches three feet wide by three feet deep. And there was an English soldier, his name was Bruce Barnes' father, who spent Christmas Eve shivering in the muck and the mire, trying desperately to keep warm, sleepless night after sleepless night in fear, eating stale biscuits and trying to smoke cigarettes that were too wet to strike and to light. And late in the evening, he writes in his journal that the British soldiers heard the German soldiers across the field singing Silent Night. And he and some of his fellow members of the Royal Warwickshire Infantry, Battalion 1 and World War I began to hum Silent Night. And Silent Night spread, and soon, in the midst of this war zone, Germans and Englishmen began to sing Silent Night in the eve of Christmas Eve in 1914. And they know from journal- journals, both in the Western, uh, both on the German side and on the uh, English side, that Christmas morning, one, one man stood up they think it was on the English side, although you can't be sure. He stood up, and he carried his hat in his hand, and he put his other hand up, and he stood up on Christmas Day, and he crawled out of that trench, and his commander said, get down! And he walked into the field, strewn with barbed wire, and he crawled over the barbed wire, and he kept his hands up. And then a German soldier who was peeking over the trench saw him, and he raised his hat and his hands, and he walked to the center of the field, and the Englishman stuck out his hand and said, hi, I'm Jim. And the Germans said, I'm Otto. And soon, dozens of people began to come out of the trench. And in the middle of this war zone in World War II, you had German and English soldiers who had just hours before been shooting at each other, shaking hands and embracing and taking off their military coats and trading coats and trading you know, chocolate and taking crackers. And, and one of the men had received a soccer ball, the story goes, from, from, uh, in the mail. And he didn't know what to do with it. It sat in a trench in the midst of the mud and the, they pulled the soccer ball and the Germans and the English played football, soccer, on Christmas Day in the middle of World War I. 1914, and they began to forget that they were in the middle of war. And they began to play and they enjoyed each other. The Germans were very affable, one Englishman wrote in his journal. And then, in the middle of the day on Christmas, they heard boof. Boom, boom. And they could fear the war getting closer again. And they shook hands. They put back on their coats, often coats from the other side. And they walked back into their trench. And they resume the war. And so many of us, we long for the truce. We long for the end of the political rhetoric. We long for the end of the incredible dissension we feel in our families. We long for the rest. And we say, there's got to be more than this. And Isaiah chapter 11, friends, says, oh, there is. Jesus became the one who was judged for you. Jesus was the stump that the shoot that rose up from the stump. Jesus was the true Nazarene that came from Nazareth. Jesus was the one who was judged. Jesus was the one who was condemned for you so that you might be able to have not just temporary rest, but we might say, oh, there is more than this and there will be more than this because Jesus says one day you will run through the woods and splash in the lake to degrees of power and glory. You could never imagine when he makes everything new. Amen? Jesus says there is more than this, and we find our rest in him. So what are we to do with the ache we feel? Mark Twain said, you don't quite know what it is you want, but it makes your heart ache, you want it so. There's gotta be more than this. And Isaiah teaches us that there is, And that there will be, that our hearts uh, ache for the righteousness for us to be cleared of our sin and to be covered with the righteousness that's not our own. Which is why when you meet people here, you don't have to try to impress each other because there's only one person in the room who's impressive and that's Jesus. So you can just be friends. Desperate for his grace. The shoot from the root of Jesse. From the place of the shoot, Nazareth, Jesus comes, the Nazarene, who was and is and soon will return for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.